We just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to look at your word and to worship you through the study of your word. We ask you to guide and lead and as we go through this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. For we write none other things unto you than what is read or acknowledged. And I trust you shall acknowledge even to the end. And also, as also you have acknowledged in us in part, but we are your rejoicing even as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. I'll stop there. That's one sentence. Paul, Paul likes these nice short sentences. Uh, For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with w- fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. So Paul is saying our rejoicing, our glory. Now, I love the fact that you, know, you work with people, you talk with people, and as you watch people grow, it gives you this sense of glory. And we do it as parents all the time. When, you know, my, my kid is you know, doing this. My kid has grown this. Uh, and sometimes we're ashamed of our kids. You know, and it's the same thing for pastors and everything. You know, we look at the people that are growing and learning, and it's like, wow, this person has just grown so much. And, you know, you, we know that we have just a small part in that, in that, you know, granted it's God and his word and all of that. But, you know, we have a small part because we get to teach it. We get to instruct. We get to encourage. Disciple. You know, and discipling is to teach people how to think more like God. And that's the fun part about it, you know, for Christian discipling anyway. Teach them to think more the way God wants them to, to think a way of thinking, learn a way of thinking. And God is working with us in the Bible to learn to think correctly according to him. And the problem is, as human beings, we have a fleshly way of thinking unless we get God crucifying our flesh and we fill our mind with his word. And even then we will have our fleshly thinking fighting against our uh, godly thinking. And but Paul's saying we rejoice in a testimony of our conscience and what we have studied, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, you know, and not wis- fleshly wisdom. You know, this idea of fleshly wisdom, we spend so much time in our, our own wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. How many times do we trust in our own ways and not his ways? You know, we'll say that that's a good verse and we love that verse and we want to live that verse. Most of the time we make our decisions based on worldly wisdom and not God's wisdom. And, you know, it's to be understood. We, we are fleshly and, it's, and God puts us in those tests to say, are you going to trust in me or are you going to trust in the world's way of doing things? And, you know, the great thing is when you start growing and you start making more decisions that are godly decisions and you lean more on more on him and you go, wow, I, I made a few right decisions. <laughs> and maybe you get a lot of right decisions before you make a bad decision. And the, the point on that is, though, that we don't kick ourselves for, forever because we made a bad decision. We go, okay, God, I'm sorry, forgive me, and move on from it. 
Uh, the sad thing is the world's way of thinking. Usually we kick ourselves for, you know, several weeks or days or, you know, days, weeks, months, years, because we made some really bad decision and God says, I've forgiven it. And God, when he forgives us, removes our sin for as far as the east is from the west, and we have trouble forgiving ourselves and saying, God, you know, okay, yes, I messed up, but you've forgiven me. I'm going to go forward. And very critical that people get this understanding of who they are in, in Christ. He says, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. You know, we need to understand God's grace in a better way. Okay? And grace is not getting what we deserve, or excuse me, getting what we don't deserve. Okay? God gives us so much because we're his children. But, you know, God is saying, I want you to understand I have all these blessings for you. And we get so busy beating ourselves up for the mistakes that we make and, and not understanding the mercy of God and the love of God to overlook completely his gifts that he's holding out to us. And, you know, which, a lot of people go, well, I don't understand why I'm getting this God's grace. <laughs> God's grace to us over and over again to give us what we don't deserve, to give us opportunities to share Christ over and over again, to be able to be forgiven over and over again. And God is saying, I love you so much. And I've talked about this. You know, it's funny as we go through the book by book on the Bible and see all these different books where God says the same thing he said a hundred times before. You know, God understands that we in our fleshly wisdom... <laughs> Are slow to understand anything and he keeps repeating himself you mean it's not just me not just you this is everybody and god knows that it's us so he keeps repeating himself and it's you know, some of the books he repeats himself a lot in the same book but you know he says for by by the grace of god we have our conversation in the world and conversation is your way of living Okay, in here, it's not just what we say, it is how we live before others. And, you know, we have the same thing that, you know, what you do speaks louder than your words. And oftentimes that's exactly what happens. You know, people look at what, what do you do? You say you love them, you say you're going to be kind, you say you're a Christian. And if you don't live it out, they don't, they don't believe it. Now, when we live it out, we may not say a whole lot. Now, there are people that look at somebody and they're going, I wonder where they go every Sunday morning with that book in their hands and they get in the car every Sunday morning. And they investigate and find out, oh, that person's a Christian. They go to church. Now, you never mentioned it to them maybe, but yet they look and they go, huh, some, or you don't respond the way people expect you to respond. You show them love and kindness and, and they don't, and they don't understand this. You know, this is something that is so critical for us to be able to understand what we live out in she won't smack your bible you know our conversation our lifestyle says so much to people if we tell people about how much we love them and then we're talking about them behind their back and we do the same thing to other people we, are you is the way you live matching the things you say now for the world it's pretty easy because they're 
you know, they're usually living the way they speak, you know, but, and Christians, people will hear them say all the right things, all the things they're supposed to say and do by, according to God and everything, and then they watch us not live it out. Paul is saying, you know, we're, we've been living it out. Paul is oftentimes talking about how he and the people with him are living out the gospel. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. They, and we know that they weren't perfect. But as much as possible, they were saying, I want to live this out. I want to live the way God wants me, is trying to get me to live. And this is how Christians have, you know, excelled over the years. You, we think of a George Mueller or a, or a Corey Ten Boom or a, a St. James, uh, Nick St. James or Elliot, is, you know, these guys that have given their life for God for their, just the activity to be able to say, I want to serve God. You know, and their, and their actions match what they've been talking, what they've been saying. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. We know they're not perfect, but they go forward, lifting up God. You read through Fox's Book of Martyrs and you watch these people who are saying, I love God so much, I am willing to die for him because he's done so much for me. And their actions back up what they say. And, you know, it's very important for us. And Paul talks a lot about how our actions are supposed to act, you know, match up to what we say. And, you know, don't be a hypocrite because the non-Christian world picks up very quick on when we're, when, when we're hypocritical. And even those honest mistakes we make, they go, well, you're just nothing but a hypocrite. You made, you made one mistake that I've seen all week long, but I'm going to really make sure you know. You know, none of us have just one mistake, but you, we know how it goes. You make one major mistake, and the world is seized upon that, and, you know, what kind of a Christian are you? And Paul is saying, you know, for the most part, our life is living up according to this, and more abundantly to, to you, word, as he's talking to the Corinthians. He goes, we're going to love you, and I want to make sure you understand, because the Corinthians had a problem with Paul. He started their church, but... He was so attacked by people challenging who he was that he really had problems with them. He wrote lots of letters to the Corinthians, which we told you there's at least three, if not four, letters. We only have two in the Bible. But they were always challenging him, well, who are you to, to, to teach us? And he always had to keep defending his apostleship with them. And pretty big deal. And most of the other people Paul talked about as, you know, I'm apostle, but you know, in Corinthians he kept having to say, God called me, this is, this is the testimony. And they challenged him. That live thing of Greg Laurie on radio last night on CSN. And he was talking about hypocrites. And he said, said, whatever, whatever, whatever. He says, let's just get more hypocrites in the heaven, okay? <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Because he called him, somebody said he was a hypocrite. He said, oh. It's the same thing that I've said at various times. If somebody says there's lots of contradictions in the Bible, the question is, show me one. You know, they use these uh, attacks on us to try to sh silence us. Um, you know, when I would be in the college telling them that Jesus is the only way, well, they go, well, that's so narrow. And I go, you're absolutely right. It's narrow. And the world does not know how to, how to uh, deal with when you agree with them. It, it shocks them like, hold it. I just, I just gave you an accusation and, and it didn't phase you. You know, how did we get the name Christian? Originally in Antioch, the, the world was using it as an epithet. You're nothing but a bunch of Christ followers. You know, it was a criticism, and, and they're going, you know what, we like this, so we're just going to take the name Christian. But, you know, it happens over and over. Are we going to sit there and argue with somebody over this? 
You talk to people about Christianity and they start throwing out, well, look at all the all that's been done, you know, what Christians have done. They went to the through crusades and killed many, you know, Muslims. They, you know, uh, Hitler killed all the Jews and all, you know, they give you all these things that were done in the name of Christianity. And you know what you have to you can't argue it because they don't separate what was done in the name of Christianity from true Christianity, and you go, well, I understand a lot of things have been done in the name of Christianity, but that is not what Jesus taught, and we want to follow what Jesus has taught. Because you're not going to argue it with you. You're not going to win that kind of an argument. All right? So we come back to what is Christianity. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we come back to the fact that Jesus saved us from hell. Because we can't defend some of the things, even some of the things we do in our life. If we try to defend, well, you know, you know, if you understood what I was going through, no, you know, it's better just to say, you know, I really apologize. I really didn't act like a Christian. That number one disarms them because they're expecting an argument. They're expecting you to defend yourself. And it's so much easier just to let God be your defender and say, you know, you're right. I, I didn't act very much like a Christian that day. God, but I asked God to forgive me. Will you forgive me? And it just shocks them because they, they thought they've shut you down. Does our actions toward people show that we're Christians? And mo a lot of times it doesn't, especially in the, toward the lost world. Yeah. We have a hard time with each other as Christians so often. And with the lost world, we have an even bigger trouble. And Paul is saying, live it. Let your life be your witness. How do we do that? Well, we let God crucify our flesh. We get more and more into his word. And out of our abundance of the word will come Christ. Out of the treasure of our heart, we speak. So if we're being critical, what's that tell us about the treasure of our heart? If we're being unloving, what does it tell us about the treasure of our heart? If I'm being forgiving, it's the treasure of my heart is God. If I'm being kind, the treasure of my heart is God, at least at that moment. So we want to keep this in mind. How do we get more loving, more kind, more Christ-like? We put more of them in us. And this is why I share it all the time. I love it when I'm around Christians who want to talk about God. Because what does that tell me? The treasure of their heart is God. If, all I want to, if I'm around somebody and all they want to do is gossip and complain about everything going on around them, it tells me a lot about what is the treasure of their heart? And you know, we said, and it's not trying to be judgmental. It's just, you know, it it will reveal who we are by what we are talking about and how we act. And this is what Paul's saying: our conversation, our act, actions in this world, show our love. You know, Paul spent most of you know most of his life he spent writing letters. It seems like to these churches that he'd started. He started a church and he'd write a letter to them later on. Because he knew what was going on in the book of Acts. He, most of the time, didn't even get to leave the city before the Judaizers were right there in the city telling you, hey, Paul's got a really good message. You need Jesus Christ. You need his grace. You need his salvation. But you've got to do these other things as well. You've got to be obedient to God or you're not going to heaven. Yeah. And this still happens to this day. We have many churches that have, you know, that are Christian churches. You, know, you need Jesus you need Jesus, but you've got to follow this other list of rules to really be a good Christian. 
And, you know, it's true, though. I mean, we do want to live according to the way Christ wants us to live, but it's not going to get us to heaven. It's not going to make us better with, before God. It's just him living out of us. And it's how people see God in us. But it's not a whole bunch of rules. Now, the world grabs onto it as well. You know, the, the statement he made, what kind of Christian is this that won't do such and such? Yeah, well, it's the kind of Christian that I am. And Paul is saying your conversation speaks loud. Our conversation is speaking loudly. You know, look at, you know, in Timothy, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And this is what good leaders will do, saying, I'm, as, I'm trying to be the best example I can. Follow me as I show you how to follow Christ. And that's what discipleship's all about. You follow somebody who's being teaching you. And the thing I've told people, if you really want to learn something in, in Christianity, you want to learn how to pray or, or study the Bible, you find somebody that can do it. And you just boldly ask them, can we get together and, and pray? Can, you, can we get together and, and do some Bible study? Can we get together and have you show, you know, and we'll go out and do some evangelism? Whatever it is you're looking to get, you find somebody who's good at it and ask them to teach you. And they go, well, you know, a lot of times they go, well, I don't know what I do. I just do. Well, good. We'll spend some time together. I will watch what you do. Much of what I learned over the years was just watching others as I grew up. And I spent a lot of time with the adults as a teenager just watching. And then I'd say something and go, well, where'd you learn that? I'd go, you guys have been talking about it for the last year. I think that it's probably a mistake that we, we confuse prayers with making requests. A lot of times. I think that's just, I wouldn't would say it's fleshly, but it probably is. Mm -hmm. Well, it is part of the world. If all our prayers are, God, give me, give me, give me, or or maybe an occasional give him or her, there is problem with our prayer life. You know, we have it on our prayer guide, the acronym ACTS, which as I've said, probably should be CATS, but, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and the last step of our prayer is give him our supplications and our desires. But if all our prayers are skip the first three and go straight to the last part, there's a problem with our prayer life. Supplication is asking, asking for things. So there is some problem with that. If all of our prayer is all about God give me or give them, then we're just looking for a genie in the lamp to, to give us stuff. And this is why we need to confess our faults and then give God just praise and adoration and be thankful for what he does give us. I mean, it doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong, but it's just there's more to it. There's so much more to it. God asks for supplications. He wants, you know, ask and you shall receive, not can you shall find, you know, is, is a verse that goes out there. You know, God wants us to ask him for things, but if all we're doing is asking, like, you know, I tell people, you know, if, if, if every time you saw your child, it was the only time you saw him was when they were asking for things, you're going to get to the place where even though you love that child, you're going to go, oh, no, here they come again. They're going to ask me for something. And I can almost picture God doing that. Ah, here, comes, here comes my child again. What are they going to ask me for this time? Instead of, Wow, this is my child. They're being thankful. They're, they're confessing their sins. They're, they're giving me praise and glory. Oh, oh come on, kid. What, 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 what would you like now? I'm just ready to give it to you because you've, been, you've come to me and we've had a good conversation. And I can't say that God is like that completely, but you know God's got to be tired of some of these people's prayers are always give me, give me, give me, give me because they've got a picture of God as a genie in the lamp. If I rub the lamp long enough and right, the genie will pop out and grant me my grant me my wishes. And, you know, I've listened to people that pray like that. Just a long list of, 
you know, God, I need this, I want this, give this person that, give this person that. And it's like, is there anything else? And hopefully their prayers are different when they're by themselves and not praying out loud in front of people. But, you know, do we give God adoration? Do we give him praise? You know, we look at the Psalms, and so many of David's prayers in the Psalms were all about praising God. You know, and you look at it, and he's telling God, God, you're so majestic, you're so wonderful, you've created this world, you, you've given, you give us rain in due season, you give us you know, this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this, and then he gets to the end, and there's a little tiny one-sentence prayer at the, end of the, at the end of it for protection or something. Now, some of his prayers were very much just, God, give me, but we look at this. We look at one of the famous prayers of Daniel, and, and his the prayer of Daniel in the scripture is him for, I think it's 10 or 12 verses, confessing the sins of the people, which he says, we, you know, we have done all these things. And you look at Daniel's life and we look and go, Daniel, you lived a life totally dedicated to God, so much so that your enemies, your political enemies, couldn't find anything wrong with you. Okay, and if a political enemy can't find something wrong with you, you're living a pretty good life. And yet in his prayer, it's, we have done this. We have done that. We, we come to you and ask for your forgiveness you know, because he's so much identified with it. Nehemiah's great prayer was the same thing. You know, he's leading the people in the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple, and he goes, God, we have done all these things. You know, he didn't separate himself from saying, God, the people have done all these things, and these people are doing all these things. He's saying, we have done this, and he leads into a great confessional prayer. We, we look at Jesus' really, true, truthfully, the Lord's Prayer in John 17. And if you want to read a great prayer, that's, his, that's the way Jesus prayed. Father, we're one. Thank you for being one. You know, you know, and I haven't lost any of the people you've given to me. And uh, you know, he starts praying for us in the middle of that prayer. I don't pray for these only, but those that will follow, that will not have seen me, that will believe only because of their testimony. You know, and there's not a real request for anything in that prayer. It's all just thankfulness and praise to God and reminding God who he is. But do we spend time just thanking God for what he's done for us? We're usually very good at asking him for lots of stuff. We don't always thank God for what he's done for us. God's sense of humor sometimes is amazing when, you know, when, uh, when he delivers, you know, but we need to have this faith that God can reach and God will reach. How much does God love us? We can't even fathom how much God loves us. You know, during communion today, we talked about all that Jesus went through for us. And even though we can even think about that, what did it mean to God the Father to see his son hanging on the cross, knowing that he was going to get us? You know, what a deal. You know, I'm going to I'm going to sacrifice my son, and I'm going to get humanity. Right. You know, I have no idea what God gets out of it, why He's done any of this, but He loves us, but he loves us enough to do it. Yeah. You know, you think about what a bad deal that is. God, uh, if I, you say if I confess my sins, I will become your child and have all the riches of heaven. God, what do you get out of this deal? It's a perfect deal for us as humans. And I've heard a lot of people go, I'd be a fool to give up that deal. And we will be a fool if we give up that deal, and there will be fools that give up that deal. They'll end up in hell because that's what they wanted. They wanted to reject Christ and end up in hell. 
How much does God love us? It's just an amazing thought to me. Jesus died on the cross, taking all the punishment for my sins, and on the cross became sin. And the Father turned his back on him at that time. And it's only been in the last few years that I've realized that the Father and the Holy Spirit paid probably as much of a price as Jesus did because for that period of time that he was, was sinned, they had to reject him. It never been separated for all of eternity past, and all of a sudden, they were ripped apart because he became sin. What a penalty God paid for our sin, not just Jesus, but the Father and the Spirit paid a price for our sin. You know, you know, we can't even comprehend what it meant to him to be split. And this is something, you know, we know that God knows all things, but how did he know something that had never happened before in all of, all of eternity, the pain of being ripped apart himself, and yet he knows all things. So it's, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, but it's hard. How can you know something that's never happened, but that's God? He paid a heavy price for our salvation. And so many times Christians take it so flippantly. Well, you know, Jesus died. You know, it's not that big a deal. It's a huge deal. You know, there's so many people that treat the blood of Christ as something cheap. And it cost God so much to do this and cost him everything, including great pain, to buy us. And sometimes we take it just so cheaply. And we got to be careful. Do you think maybe some people feel because he was God and he went through this that he didn't feel? Could be. You know, the, 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 is it possible some people think that because he is God, he did not feel the pain because of, you know, there may be a lot of people that feel that way because they don't understand God. It's not true, but, you know, the way some people talk is, what if he's God, then he... He was above, he was above the pain. And in one sense, there was a truth to that because he knew what was on the other side, clearly. But that did not reduce the pain of, of suffering and the pain of being ripped, ripped apart, basically. So, no, it's... And this is the problem people have. They give God... They almost too humanize God. They make him too much of a human. Or they put him no human humanity at all and we and really what we would call humanity I think is God anyway okay God says let us make man in our image which means that we have love we have compassion we have humor we have creativity we have a lot of things that animals don't seem to have we have the attitude that you tell them Jesus died for you then they could say I didn't ask him but if they're ready to hear the message, it'll resonate with them that Jesus died for them. It'll resonate when you tell them God loves you and it's just the right timing for them to hear that message. You know, so you can say it to somebody all the time. Believers, truly believe you're a sinner to understand that God died for you? Mm, yes. If you're a sinner, then it, it's kind of irrelevant. Well, it's... It's a whole lot of things in there, but you're right. The first step of salvation is to recognize that you're a sinner. Otherwise, you don't have anything to be saved from. And that's why people, it's much, it really is, and it's hard to believe sometimes, but it really is easier to reach somebody who's in the bottom of their sinful state than to somebody who 
is a really good person. Because they're going to be the one that tells you, well, I don't need him. I'm okay. I do, I do, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person. Those are the ones Jesus had the trouble with. The Pharisees, look how good we are. We, we give our tithe. You know, we're nice to people. We, we help the widows. So, you know, we do this. We do that. And I'm going to tell you, I've had the same problem. If somebody is uh, somebody who goes to church, you know, goes to church once a, once a month, whether they need to or not, reads their Bible once a, once or twice a year, whether they need to or not, they're hard to reach because, you know, they think they're doing good. You talk to the person who's a drunk or a drug user or an abuser or or, or a hater. Deep down, they know that they've got problems. And they're much easier to finally get to understand when you say God loves you. I think part of the first step is to understand that God loves you, is to be able to turn to him. And then comes you know, the fact that you need him and that he paid the price. It all comes, and when it comes, it's all kind of a domino. It all happens very fast. If they're not ready in any one of those points, you can, you can talk to them all day and not get through to them. But it really is, you're a sinner, God loves you, he died for you so that you could go to heaven, and they have to be able to believe all of that at the same time. And that's the Holy Spirit working in them. And sometimes it's just the power of I, God loves you can change their heart and break a heart. You know, and it might be that, you know, especially if you're talking to somebody who knows they're a sinner, you know, God loves you so much that Jesus died for you so that you could go to heaven. You know, we don't know what the words are, and this is why it's so important. It doesn't really matter what we say to somebody as much as is the Holy Spirit prepared their heart and made them ready for it. Because you could fumble and bumble your way through the gospel message. If that person's ready to hear the message, they're going to change. They're going to, con they're going to commit. They're going to, they're going to make the decision. If they're not ready, you could be the most eloquent person out there and if they're not ready to listen, it's not going to make a difference. So all our job is really simple. We speak and the Holy Spirit does the work. And so many times I've listened to people's testimonies and I've shared this over and over again because I want to encourage people, open your mouths and share because a lot of times the Holy Spirit will get them at bedtime. Wake them up in the middle of the night. And the question will be, you know that nut that you talked to today that told you you were a sinner and that Jesus died for you? What if they're right? What if they're right and the Holy Spirit starts really working on them and their conscience starts bothering them? And a lot of times they'll get saved in the middle of the night because you spoke just the gospel message. Maybe you bumbled your way through it and didn't even do it well, but you got the message that sinners deserve hell and that Jesus died for their sins. And all of a sudden in the back of their mind is this working. Do I deserve hell? Am I on my way to hell? What if that, I didn't really think there was a hell. What, what if that person was right? But this is why we keep saying over and over, we're not responsible for their acceptance or rejection. It's between them and God. Our job is to be simply just to tell. Plant the seeds, plant the seeds, water the seeds. Because nobody is going to come to Christ until the Holy Spirit has got them under conviction. And we can plant the seed, and this is why I'm saying, we can be the most eloquent speaker in the world and we might even convince them to say a prayer. But if it's not a real prayer, it doesn't even matter because it's not truly putting their heart and their trust in him. And it's one of the things that bothers me sometimes because I hear it on the radio a lot. 
say this prayer and you'll be a Christian. And they'll even say, because you said this prayer, you're a Christian. Yeah. And yes, they're the right words, but if they don't truly believe those words, God isn't some genie in the lamp. He's not a, it's not abracadabra, you're saved. It is a transaction he makes because you truly believe that, that you're a sinner and that you need him and that you want him. And you want a relationship with him. Otherwise, it's just words. And this is why some people can sit in churches all their life and get old and then realize, I don't know God. And get saved at 60, 70, 80 years old and have been in church. They might be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church members and, and going to the revivals and everything, reading their Bible every day and come later in life and realize, I've never known God. I never knew him. Because somebody, one point, you know, some point in their life said, if you say this prayer, you're, you're saved. It is such a hardship on it because it is a heart relationship that must be there. You know, our job is just to love them, be kind to them, let them know that God loves them, doesn't like what they're doing, but wants them to be his child and just encourage them. And, you know, we plant the seeds, we plant the seeds, and, you know, my heart breaks when I see the direction that these kids are taking. But it also, there is a glimmer of hope because I've seen some of their grandmothers and great-grandmothers who have finally come back and turned to God and going, okay, the seed is planted and that's all we can do. You know, and my heart breaks because I look at it and say, how much pain do you want in your life before you, before you finally decide to follow God? And, you know, we, we have a lot of pain in our hearts as Christians when we don't follow God correctly. But when you live a sinful lifestyle that takes you to the, to the dregs of the, of, of the way of living and you're going, oh, we tried so hard to get you to turn to God to start with. You know, but there's also decisions they have to make to get themselves into the word and into God. And we have to be careful because if we get bitter about not seeing the change that we're wanting so desperately to see, that bitterness is going to come out in our message. It's going to come out in the way we treat them even, and it is the love that draws it. It is the love that, you know, we see because we see the pain that's coming their way, but we've got to be careful that we do not get bitter and have it come across to them that, you know, when are you going to respond? How, how much do we have to do? Again, I come back to you could be the most eloquent, perfect teacher, perfect presentation of the gospel, but if the Holy Spirit isn't talking to them at that time, they are not going to respond. We are not responsible for how others react. I am not responsible when I preach a message for what, for what everybody does. And it breaks my heart sometimes when I preach something and I watch them in that very, very same week fall into what I just preached against. And it's not on purpose. And if I started taking this internalizing, saying, God, what, you know, what did I do wrong? What could I have done better in this preaching? And obviously I can do things better, but I would go nuts. We have to, as we're delivering these messages to people, realize the Holy Spirit is the one who's responsible, not me. My job is really simple. I give the gospel. I give the lesson. I present what God wants you to do. And 
as long as I do the best I can at that. I may fumble, bumble, and be miserable at it, but if I'm doing the best job that I can through the Holy Spirit, it's his job to deliver. And the more I can understand that, the more I can stay loving to this person, the more I can say, oh God, I'm just so sad about that, but help me to love them even more. Help me to give that message. And one of the things, truthfully, that's been helping me the most is being here as a pastor for six years, working my way through the Bible and seeing how often God repeats himself. Okay, God repeats himself over and over in the word of God, and it makes me start thinking, okay, God knows he has to repeat themselves. He's perfect. He's given us a perfect message. How often am I going to have to repeat myself before people respond? If God has to repeat himself, it frees me up to say, I don't have to do this. You know, and you look at it, and it's just, you know, it's amazing to me how much God repeats himself in the word of God. So if he's having, he knows us as humans and says, and he's talking in the Bible mostly to Christians, his followers, and we're that dense, how hard is it going to be to evangelize somebody? I cannot take it personally when somebody chooses to not respond. I can't take it personally when I preach a message out there and people choose not to respond. All I can do is take pleasure when I see, wow, this person actually got it right this week. But that is the problem. When you love people, it hurts because you want to see. When I first started pre you know, teaching, it, it was easy. I didn't care what anybody did with it because I didn't love the people. Now God's taught me to love the people, and it hurts when you watch them make mistakes. It does. But we've got to keep in mind, I'm not responsible for their response. I'm not responsible for their lack of response for, for it. I'm not responsible for their not following through with what's being taught. You know, pastors and teachers would go crazy if every time somebody didn't do something that they just, especially if they just taught on in the last month, we'd go, we'd go absolutely crazy saying, God, what did I do wrong? What did, and there are pastors who do that. They don't last long. Planted the seed and they finally come back and God has gotten hold of them. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know whether the seed that we've planted has actually taken place. We don't know, and we won't know till we get to heaven. All we, and again, our responsibility is to share. Our, if you're a teacher, your responsibility is to teach. Now, I'm not going to stand around twisting their arm, saying, okay, you ready? You're going to, you know, this is, just, this is it. This is what we talked about. This is what we taught you. That's the Holy Spirit's job to do be around there trying to twist their arm to remember what they heard. But this is what is important for us. All we do is we pour our lives. Paul said, I, have pour, I am poured out for you. He goes, I am so poured out that I'm at the end of my life and it's at the end and I have done everything I can for you. And as a teacher that, or, or an evangelist or somebody who's just sharing Christ with other people, we pour our life out, and it's up to them what they do with it. And yes, we can we could beat ourselves up all day if we want to. It's not in, not going to do us any good because, like I said, you could be the most eloquent teacher, the most eloquent presenter of the gospel, and the people will still reject it. Or worse yet, you'd be really good at debating, and you get them to say the prayer that they don't mean. They don't know what you're saying. Well, they don't, they just say, well, they want me to say a prayer, I'm going to say a prayer. You know, I, I really like what they're doing. 
And this happens in the, in the intellectual circle. Sometimes you give them enough arguments so that they go, okay, I really want to follow God. And then you, know, you leave and somebody else comes around and gives them another argument that sounds just as good to them. And, they, you know, and it takes away everything that they said they believed with you. It's very important that we understand it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict and teach them and apply it to their life. Once he does it, you're going to see the life's changed. And, you know, we also want to be careful when we look at somebody that when they say the prayer and they really mean it with Christ, doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect from that day and that they're going to understand everything. When I got saved at 10 years old, I did not understand much about Christianity at all. I recognized I was a sinner and needed Jesus. That was about what I knew. But the key to this is falling in love with God and really trying to make him the treasure of your heart. The more he's the treasure of our heart, the more he's going to come out. And we need to be careful because our job is to teach people to just follow him. Get enough of the God's word into them that they will change. Because we don't know. If I hadn't gotten into God's word and, and studied his word at a really young age, who knows what would have happened to me. I don't even want to think about what would have happened to me. But his word got into me and changed me. You know, the people that I've seen that have made really strong changes with God, it's the same thing. They get into God's word and God's word changes them. You're not going to be a successful Christian. And this is one of the things I share with a lot of people. There's a lot of people who think, well, I don't need to come to church to be a Christian. Well, you're right. You do not have to be, come to church to be, be a Christian. But if you want to be a growing Christian, you better get your butt in church. Because if you're not being challenged to, to think differently, you know, you're not having your way of thinking challenged. Why do I listen to all the pastors that I listen to? Because I want to hear some other opinions to make sure I'm not getting stuck in my understanding of the scriptures. Now, do I agree with every pastor I listen to? Absolutely not. Some of them I listen to and I'm going, what in the world did you get that from? <laughs> Others, it's like, wow, that's kind of interesting. I've never thought about that. I need to go in and study. I, keep, I have paper with me and I'll write down things that I need to study because somebody said something. I'm going, that sounds really interesting. I need, and it echoes in my mind that it's true that I have never thought about it and I'll write it down real quick. Look this up. We need that kind of challenge in our lives. That's one of the reasons we need each other as Christians. We also need each other as Christians because we might think that we're doing really good loving people until we meet that person that just rubs us wrong. And they're in the church and they're a Christian, but there's just something about them that rubs us wrong and God's saying, uh, are you ready to love? This person's really hard to love. Uh, I don't like this person, God. God says, That's, yeah, I want you to show me how, I want to show me how much love you have in your heart. God, I'm really being really good at this forgiveness thing. I can forgive my spouse all the time. So he puts somebody in it that you don't like to say, forgive this person. God is really good about this, putting things in our life to say, do you really, truly want to act like a Christian? And, you know, We'll fall and we'll fail and we'll falter and we'll have to confess and say, God, I've really messed up. I've really, you know, God, I talked about this person. I, you know, not forgiving this person. I don't even like this person, God. Keep them away from me. And God says, no, we're going to keep them in your life until you learn to love. We're going to keep them in your life until you learn to be able to forgive. We're going to keep them in your life until you learn whatever it is that you're trying to learn. 
you know, and we as humans want to say, God, you know, just, just take them out of you know, get rid of them. You know, and too many Christians have this attitude that if there's trouble in a church, you know, where they're having trouble liking somebody or, or forgiving somebody, it's time to get out of this church. The only problem is when you, the next church you're going to, God's going to give you somebody that's just like the one that you ran from. Because he's not going to let you run from the test. He's going to say, oh, you didn't like this one. And it might even be a worse person than you ran away from. Because we take our problems with us. You know, every time we go, we run from our problems. Our problems go with us because we're usually the problem. There's been a lot of pastors who get tired of the church because after three to five years, they end up having problems. So they go find another. I've been called to another church. Well, I don't know anybody, and then three to five years later, they have the same problems, just a different set of people. So they leave that church. They're called to another church, or they leave the ministry completely, and, you know, or they eventually find out, you know what, maybe I'm the problem. I need to learn to grow. Because it's so easy for us to say, problems? I'm not supposed to have problems. I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to have any problems. And that doctrine is one of the worst doctrines that gets stuck in our head. Because God puts us in places that say, I want you to grow, and the only way we grow, the only way we grow is through pain. Okay? And I've said this over and over. If you're trying to build your muscles, we could lift this, you know, one-ounce pen all day long. We can, we can move our fingers. We could, you know, uh, and we're not going to put any muscles. You want to build muscle, you get yourself a barbell and put some weight on it, and it hurts. If God comes along and says, I want you to learn to love, he's going to put somebody that's hard to love, and it hurts. And you know what? The sad thing is, even when you learn to love them, it still hurts. When they don't respond the way that you're hoping that they respond, it still hurts. And that's where love truly comes in. Are you going to love them when they've rejected your message? Are you going to love them when they refuse to accept Jesus Christ? Those are hard things. This is where we start getting bitter sometimes and some angry, angry at them because we look at them, they've rejected, they've rejected, they've rejected, they've rejected, and our love can easily turn to bitterness because we're bitter, because we're tired of being, we feel like they're rejecting us. I love you so much, you should be doing this because I love you. And we start treating it as if they're rejecting us rather than God. And we want to be careful with that. How many people do I not love enough to tell the gospel to? And it's really bad if they're family or friends. You know, well, I'm not going to tell you the gospel because I'm afraid it might break up our friendship or our family. So you can just go to hell for eternity because I don't want to hurt our, our relationship here on earth. Now, we are not that blunt, and we don't usually think it through that much, but that really is... What we're saying, if we don't share the gospel with family and friends and other people, uh, you can just go to hell. I don't care. All right, let's, go, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Lord, we don't know all of what was going on today, but Lord, you really do. You know what, what needs to be heard by individuals here and on the, on the Internet. We ask you just help us, Lord, to not take it personal when we are rejected for the messages that we give. Help us to continue to love those people and to just know that it's your Holy Spirit that will draw them. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.